thank you for this word tonight. We thank you for what you have to say uh, through my voice tonight. Father, I thank you that these aren't the words of man, but these are the words of God. And so we thank you that our ears are attentive, our eyes are open, we have ears to ear, eyes to see. Father, I thank you that we give attention to your word tonight. We're not here uh, just performing religious activity. We are here to learn, we're here to grow, we're here to apply, we're here to do what the Word says to do. So I thank you that our spirits are open and receptive, our minds are receptive tonight, and we give you all the glory and all the praise for everything you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we've been talking about spiritual growth. This is now our third installment, our third message on spiritual growth. This is a very important subject uh, that at times um, either seems to be eliminated or uh, not really pressed upon, not really been real urgent in the church as of recent, but it's important for us to grow. There are three things that God is interested in. I just want to let you know what God is interested in as the father, as the king. He's interested in three things. One, he's interested in people coming into the kingdom and being born again. Number one overall interest interest is that people come out of darkness and into light. Colossians chapter 1 states that he sent his son to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So that is his number one interest, his number one goal is to see people come out of sin and become born again, receive salvation. His number two interest, these are, this is what God is interested in, the, interested in. The number two interest of God is that people be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the second interest. You'll see outlined throughout the New Testament over and over again, that people were not just saved, they were not just born again, we didn't just stop there, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit to empower them and equip them to do kingdom work. You are powerless without the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not even begin his ministry without first being baptized and then the Holy Spirit coming upon him. So if he couldn't do it, how are we going to do it? Uh, At Full Force Kingdom Conference, Pastor Earl preached a powerful message I'm talking about light, and he used a very awesome example that uh, I could be holding a flashlight in my hand, and that flashlight is a flashlight regardless of if it's shining or not. We still call it a flashlight, but whether whether the light is on or not is what determines if the flashlight is actually productive and useful. And so we don't want to just be a Christian or a flashlight that's just wearing the title and wearing the label, we want to be one that is performing what a Christian ought to be doing. And if that flashlight doesn't have some form of battery or power source connected to it, it is powerless, it does me no good if the lights all of a sudden go out. I have a flashlight, I'm holding it in my hand, it's still called a flashlight, but it is powerless. So 
as believers, God's number one interest is that we become believers, become born again, receive salvation. His number two interest is that we be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do kingdom work. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't say no to the devil. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't be bold and deliberate in your witness. Those are all byproducts of receiving the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would Jesus tell his 12 disciples and all the others that uh, uh, followed him after he was raised up from the dead and uh, ascended to heaven? Why would he tell them, go and wait? I mean, if you're talking to me and I just saw Jesus die on a cross, I knew he was buried, and three days, three days later, he's up walking around with all the rest of us. That's all I need. I'm going and telling all kinds of people. But why did Jesus say, go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit? Why? Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit... He says, I don't want you just going out in the world, calling yourself a Christian, but doing nothing. I want you to go out in the world... Call yourself a believer and then look like a believer and do what a believer is supposed to do. So the Holy Spirit is uh, important. It's not an option. I don't care what church you've been to. I don't care what they preached. I don't care what you heard growing up. The Holy Spirit is not an option. Here's what we do is we have become, as a culture and a society, we have become bare minimum. What's the least I have to do to get through school? What's the least I have to do to pass this test? What's the least I have to do to uh, uh, be able to do this test? What's the least I have to do to move up in my position? What's the least I have to do in my daily activities? And are you still going to go to heaven if you don't receive the promise of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. The requirement for going to heaven is to receive the Holy Spirit, or is to receive salvation and be born again. The requirement for living in the earth and being productive is receiving the Holy Spirit. So if all you want to look at is heaven, then fine. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to wait around and do nothing until God takes you home. You need the Holy Spirit to be here on the earth and do something until God takes us home. Amen? So two requirements, two of God's interests, be born again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then his third interest, because it doesn't even stop there. His third interest is that we grow up spiritually. That is an interest of God. That is what he's interested in. Now, here's why I tell you what God is interested in, because our interests should line up with God's interests. You should be interested in what God is interested in. You should care about what God cares about. So we should care that we see people born again and come into the kingdom of God. We should be interested in that. We should care and we should be interested in seeing believers be filled and receive the Holy Spirit and, re and, and be filled with that endowment of power from on high. And then thirdly, we should be interested in and we should care about seeing believers grow up spiritually, not remain babies, not remain children, but grow up and become mature adults as a believer. Those are, our, those are God's key interests for mankind, and those should be our interests. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 23, this has kind of been a beginning verse for us through this series, and it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've looked at this. We've seen that here in this verse, Paul breaks down what we call the threefold nature of man or the three-part being of man, spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You are not what we all look at on the outside. That is not who you really are. You are a spirit. You possess a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is the middleman in this thing because you can set your mind, will, and emotions on the flesh or you can set your mind, will, and emotions on the spirit. It can be interchangeable and it can be it becomes whatever you want it to be. If you want to be more controlled by the flesh, it will do that. If you want to be more controlled by the spirit, it will do that. And then we have our flesh, which is the outside suit, which is necessary for our existence in this planet. You do not exist in this earth, you being your spirit, does not exist in this earth without this flesh suit. Without this right here. The second this fails, the second this passes away, your spirit's going somewhere else. It's not staying in the earth. Your spirit has no access in the earth. It has no legal residence in the earth. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, And I will make man in my image, and he will rule, control, and have dominion on the planet, on earth, in the world. And he'll control everything that creeps on the earth. He'll control everything that moves on the earth. And all the earth, man will. Well, what's a man? A spirit, a soul, and a body. So you have to have all three of those things working in cooperation to rule and have dominion as God planned it. Not even God has control in the planet Earth. I know we like to say, you know, God is sovereign and God is in control and God is all-powerful. And he is, but he's also not a liar. And he also can't go back on his word. So if he gives man dominion in the earth, he cannot relinquish that. He cannot take that away. So anything he wants to get done in the earth, he needs a man. He needs what? A spirit being wrapped in flesh that possesses a mind, will, and emotions. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's been looking for since day one. That's why he needed Moses. That's why he needed David. That's why he needed uh, Daniel. That's why he needed Jesus. That's why he needed Paul. That's why he needed Peter. He had to have a man, a spirit being, wrapped in flesh. So we have to understand that we are a three-part being. But here's the thing. We can develop any part of our life to a greater or lesser degree. You can develop your flesh to a greater or lesser degree. You can work it out. You can strengthen it. You can build it up. You can feed it. You can even develop your soul realm. You can develop your mind, your intellect, and knowledge, and learning, and growing intellectually. Your emotions by learning to control and, and have self-control in your emotions, and obviously your will. You can take your will, and you can put your will towards the flesh, or you can take your will and put your will towards the spirit. You can develop any part of your life to a greater or lesser degree. 
that's up to you. Now, your spirit. Your spirit can be developed to a greater or lesser degree. And so that's what spiritual growth is all, all about. Spiritual growth is all about developing and growing up your spirit, man. We focus a lot on the flesh. We pay some attention to our mind and to our will and to our emotions. But the part that seems to lack a lot for church people and for Christians is the spiritual growth side. Because here's what we think. We think that spiritual growth just happens. We think spiritual growth it just takes place by accident. But nothing develops by accident. Everything that you develop in your life only develops by deliberate actions, by purposeful decisions and choices. You don't accidentally develop muscles. You don't accidentally get smarter and wiser in a certain subject. And you don't accidentally develop and grow spiritually. So if we're going to have spiritual growth, it's, going, it's only going to happen and take place because we're deliberate and purposeful with our decisions and choices that we make in life. The more attention that you give to what is necessary to grow, the more you'll grow. We see it in our flesh all the time. The more attention that we give to our flesh to develop certain areas, uh, I mean, you look at any athlete, uh, they don't accidentally get strong and they don't accidentally get fit. They don't accidentally become able. Uh, no one just woke up and said, you know what, I think I'm going to run in the Olympics. And so whenever the Olympics come around, we'll just try out and see what happens. What do they do? Train. Develop grow, mature as a runner. They learn how to run, whether it's if they need to run short races quick or if they need to run long races. They train specifically for their area and for what they're trying to do. They eat properly. They have a diet and an intake that's necessary. They have proper exercise that's necessary. They have proper rest that's necessary. Well, the same goes for your spirit, man. It does not develop on accident. It doesn't develop just because uh, you became a Christian and became born again. All you did when you became born again was you gave birth to your spirit. Jesus called it what? Being born again. That's all you did. You didn't become mature by becoming a Christian. You didn't become an adult spiritually by becoming a Christian. You actually just got started. Babies just get started. And they need help growing. And they need help developing. And there is special attention that is necessary to a baby. There's certain things that they have to do uh, more so, even more often than Adults have to do it. Babies have to eat way more often than we need to eat. Now, when I was training and I was trying to get bigger and, 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 and get stronger and all that stuff, they told me I needed to be eating something every three hours. That's like a baby. Babies eat almost every three hours. And I couldn't do it. I, I just, I don't have the appetite for that. That's part of the reason eating was my biggest problem in, in strength training and growing. 
Because I, I said, I, I'd go to the gym, that's no problem. But I can't eat that much food. And they give the whole diet plan, and you got to eat this at 9 o'clock, you got to eat this at 12 o'clock, and you got to snack on this at 3 o'clock, and then you got to eat this large meal at 6 o'clock, and then three hours later you're eating. Forget that, man. My budget can't take that on. My stomach can't take that on. I'm stuffing myself, and still nothing's happening. On top of that, I'm taking all these weight gainer shakes and protein shakes and all this stuff, and I'm, forget it, man. I'll hit the gym, I'll eat what's comfortable, and I'll get as big as I can. And from there, that's it. I, I, just, I couldn't do the diet side because I don't need to eat that much. I need it for a specific training and development. But babies, man, they got to eat pretty often. And they'll let you know when they're hungry. They ain't skipping a meal. They ain't passing one up. You, you waking up in the middle of the night, you shaking the bottle, you mixing the stuff, whatever. And then for you moms that, you know, do it natural, you know, you got a little easier, but that means you just got to give more attention to it. You can't just give them the bottle and go lay back down. So either way, it's putting somebody in an inconvenient spot. But why? Because babies have to eat more. They have to have that intake. Why? Because they're growing. Have you seen how fast a baby grows? We could take pictures of Camden when he was a lot younger, uh, you know, when he was first born, and... In seven days, you take two photos, put them side by side, and you got a, a completely different baby. I mean, they're just packing on four or five pounds a week. It's amazing. Obviously, that slows down, but why? Because in the beginning stages, you're trying to develop the intake. You're trying to, uh, in one sense, overdo it because you want to establish habits. You want to establish priorities. You want to establish diet. Well, same thing for a baby Christian. We got to be in the word. I'm not saying that we don't ever, I'm not saying we ever come off of that as believers, but there's just more attention that's given to it because we don't want to resort back. We don't want to fall back on a previous lifestyle. So in spiritual growth, it only comes by deliberate attention, purposeful decisions, and choices that take place. And so last week we took a look at the baby stage, and we went through quite a few things um, there. But I wanted to touch on something, uh, because today we're going to get into the childhood stage. We're going from babyhood to childhood, and then from there we'll go to the adolescent teenage years of a believer, and then we'll look at adulthood. All have pros and all have cons. There are things that I learned as a child that I still do today, but there's things that I used to do as a child that I better not do today. Okay? The same thing goes spiritually. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 1. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? And behaving like mere men. Okay? So right here in these first three verses, Paul uses the word three times 
carnal. I first of all want to set it straight that a carnal Christian is not a sinner. In fact, this is something you need to learn to say out of your mouth on a daily basis until you have it down in your heart. Because uh, there is way too much talk of sinners saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm going to shoot that down today. That's a, that is a religious cow that is breeding in churches. And I, I'm going to shoot it down, stomp it, kill it. We're going to gut this thing and we're going to eat it for lunch. Because that is, that is so far from, it's not even possible. It is, Im, it is impossible to be a sinner saved by grace. That's just not even, I'm just a sinner. Once you come into the kingdom, you are no longer a sinner. Just get it clear. You might sin, but that doesn't make you a sinner. I can bark like a dog, but that doesn't make me a dog. Performing the action of a sinner does not make you a sinner. A sinner is someone that is lost, unsaved, and does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the definition of a sinner. Once you come to know Jesus as your Lord, Paul says you now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what in the world does that mean? Now you're throwing those big biblical terms at me. Righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That simply means this. Through what Jesus did on the cross, you are now viewed by God himself as not ever having messed up. Okay? That is who you are. When you come into the kingdom, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am now a new creation in who? Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Either that verse is a lie, and if that verse is a lie, then they're all a lie. But it's not a lie. You have become a new creation. I like this. That word new does not denote something renewed or repaired. That word new denotes something that has never existed before. That is how new you become. That's how new you become. A creature, a creation that has never existed before. That means you have no past. We did a message a while back called Perspective versus Perception. And the problem is, is we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see our past. We live with people that see our past and know our past and view us based on our past. But God doesn't view you based on your past. God sees you based on your future. God doesn't view you on what you've done. He looks at you in your potential and what he's placed in you and what you have become and what that new creation is capable of doing. 
So you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, how come I still think the same thoughts and sometimes do the same things and sometimes say the same things and sometimes act the same way? How how come I still respond to things like I used to? Because the flesh still holds on to all that. But your spirit man on the inside, the real you, has been born. And we know a baby doesn't have a past. I mean, you can't take a newborn baby and say, man, I remember when you did this. There's no remembering nothing. What are they doing? They're just creating memories, and they are just establishing their future. But there's no past. So there's a level of ignorance there. There's There's a level of newness. Well, it's the same thing when you're, when you're reborn spiritually, when you're born again. So you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, a new creation, a, a, a new uh, creature that has never existed. I like to use the example of a car because I can go out and I can, I, I drive a, a truck, I can go out and take that truck and if there's problems with it, I can go and get it repaired or get it fixed and get it like new. And I can have the sense of driving something new. Or I can go out and I can buy a car that has zero miles on it. And that's newer than new. God didn't just fix you. He got, he just, he got rid of everything and said, boom, no past, no prior existence, clean slate. Okay? So that's being a righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You have been saved by grace. Now you're a believer. Now you're a Christian. Now you're a kingdom citizen. You've been transferred out of darkness, brought into light. And when he brought you into light, he didn't say, now I still remember what you used to do over here. We're the ones that do that. We're the ones that get into the kingdom of light and say, man, I used to do that. Man, I used to say this. Man, I used to act that way. We're the ones that do that. God God isn't doing it. So you are, you were a sinner. Saved by grace. Now you're a believer. Why does it say righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Because there was nothing you did to become righteous. There's nothing you could ever do to become righteous. Jesus has done it all. Jesus on the cross paid the price for everybody on the face of the planet that if they just believe in him, make him their Lord, not just Savior. We're good at making Jesus our Savior, but not so good at making Jesus our Lord. Make him your Lord and Savior. And by believing in him, you are saved. You become a new creature okay so do we have that spiritually when you're born uh there's no past there's no priors there's no there's nothing that existed before we have to clear that up because spiritual babies have that problem of remembering what was before so when paul talks to the corinthian church in first corinthians 3 and he calls them carnal he's not calling them sinners We've sometimes associated that word carnal to a sinner, but that's not a sinner. A carnal person is a believer that is still a baby or immature. That is what a carnal Christian is. 
You are carnal when you still have levels of uh, fleshly desires and flesh control. That's carnal. And he goes on, he explains it. You're carnal because you're still gossiping, you have envy, you have divisions, you have strife among you. He says that's what made them carnal. Carnality, you cannot be a sinner, you cannot be lost and be carnal. You can't look at the world and say, man, they're just a bunch of carnal heathens. No, they're not. They're just lost. They're sinners. That's what they do. Sinners sin. But when you come into the kingdom, there's a level of shedding off and throwing off and what Paul calls uh, burying the flesh, putting to death the flesh, and letting the spirit man have control, letting the spirit man uh, live. The uh, definition of spiritual growth, the definition of spiritual growth is when your spirit man is stronger than your flesh. That's the definition. How do I know when I am spiritually grown? How do I know when I'm spiritually mature? When my spirit man has more control than my flesh. And that's the battle you will deal with for the rest of your life. You will never get away from it. You will never become so spiritually strong that the flesh no longer has a voice. The thing about being born again and living for God is at any instance, that flesh can rise back up and start talking again. At any time, you can give right back into it. Paul said, I crucify my flesh daily. Every single day, he woke up, I'm putting to death the flesh today. Tuesday, he woke up, I am putting the flesh to death today. Wednesday, he woke up, I'm putting the flesh to death today. Daily, I crucify my flesh. Daily, I tell my flesh, no. Daily, I shut it down. Daily, I say, I'm not doing that. Daily, I tell it, you're not going to have control. And at any point, he could have had it rise back up within him. So daily, that is how much attention he had to give to shutting that down and letting his spirit man be strong, letting his spirit man be developed. So when we look at carnal Christians, that should be a picture to us, and even in our own lives, and that level of immaturity, that there's still some growth that needs to take place. We don't get on babies for falling down. We don't get on to babies for not saying a word exactly right. We don't get on to babies for not completing entire sentences. We don't get on to babies for still reaching for things they shouldn't and putting things in their mouth they shouldn't. Why? They're babies. They are immature. They, have, they still have some development that needs to take place. So at, when we look at babies, we have to understand that, that carnal side. Now, we want to get into uh, the childhood stage. I wanted to wrap that up from last week because I didn't really go into, the, in, into depth defining carnal and carnality. And look, carnality can show up at any time. I mean, we just said you've got to give attention to cruc- crucifying your flesh daily. That, that can show you could be a born-again believer for 30 years and spiritually grown, and carnality can show up like that. But it will always be because you gave attention to something else other than than God's word. What is necessary for growth? What is necessary for development? 
We saw last week that the number one key that Paul looked at uh, when he addressed, and will really any, any writer in the New Testament, when they addressed a believer and they weren't at the spiritual development stage that they should have been, they always talked about their diet. Every time. They always talked about what you are feeding on. What you are eating. Over in Hebrews chapter 5, we saw that the writer said, uh, you know, you ought to be uh, able to teach by now. You ought to be able to share the word with someone else. But now we're just having to go back to the elementary principles. You ought to be able to teach other people how to do this. But now we're having to go back to the ABCs and the one, two, threes of what it means to live for God. And what did that writer say? He said, you can't feed on the solid meat of the word. You have to have the milk of the word. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we just read. By now, you should have been able to eat solid food. I can't speak to you as spiritual, but I have to speak to you as carnal. I have to speak to you as babes in Christ. I'm still having to give you the milk of the word. 1 Peter chapter 2, I know I'm throwing out references, just write them down. These are the references we've been looking at. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that uh, babes grow by the pure milk of the word. Milk is what babies have to have. They can't chew the, the tough stuff. They can't break that stuff down. You have to be very uh, cautionary and very cautious with their diet and with their intake, and how much you're giving them. You can't overstuff them. You have to be very careful. But he always went to the diet. What is the diet? It's what you give attention to. We said that spiritual growth, spiritual growth comes by deliberate choices, deliberate decisions. It's what you give attention to. You will not grow spiritually if you never eat or drink of the word. You don't grow, look at this, you don't grow by going to church. You don't, you don't grow physically by going to a restaurant every now and then. You grow by eating. You don't grow by just sitting at a table that has a full plate of food on it. You grow by eating the food, partaking of it. Actually ingesting it, chewing it, and putting it in you, and allowing that to show up in your life. What does that food become? That food becomes energy. The protein goes to your muscles and helps for development. You've got carbohydrates. You've got all kinds of stuff that's in the food that creates something in your body. You don't grow spiritually by owning a Bible. You don't grow, you don't grow spiritually by uh, just hearing it. You don't grow uh, by attending church or finding a home church or having a pastor. You don't grow by those things. You grow by ingesting it, intaking it, studying it, meditating on it. That's, what, that's why uh, God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, says, look, if you want to be purposeful, if you want to be successful in your life, if you want to accomplish everything I have for you, meditate 
on my word day and night. You can go to all kinds of conferences across the United States of America and attend success stories. And you know what they say, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And their little quick, their little uh, get rich quick schemes and moving up the ladder quick schemes. I'm going to tell you how to move up the ladder in the kingdom. Read the Bible and study it. Get it in front of you and give it attention and allow it to develop you and then apply it and do it. Put some exercise towards it. Get active in it. Get active in your church. Begin to live it out. That's how you grow up spiritually. I, I want to get out all the ways that people think they grow up spiritually and so we can narrow down to how you actually grow up spiritually. Because watching somebody on TV won't grow you up spiritually. Plugging your little you version in your car and allowing the, them to read the Bible to you doesn't grow you up spiritually. Just giving you something good to listen to, sure, that's... A lot better than what some of the other mess is out there to listen to. But you got to study it, man. You got to be a studier. You got to be a doer. I mean, James James chapter 1 says, don't just be a hearer of the word, or don't just be a hearer, become a doer of the word. He says that if you are a hearer only and not a doer, he's saying that you are deceived. Why are you deceived? Because you think you just got something and you got nothing that simple you got nothing if you just heard the word and you didn't do the word right you got a teenager at home and you say take out the trash i heard you dad and if he hears you is that good enough no what's necessary what is the necessary requirement to fulfill and fully accomplish I know, I only got one teenager in the entire room. <laughs> That's all right. We were all teenagers one day, and somebody said, take out the trash, and we heard them, but there was no action that followed. What do we got to do? We got to fulfill the whole thing. So we got to hear it, and we got to do it. So childhood, here's some things to look at with childhood. You cannot give a child too much of anything. You can't give a child too much information. You can't give a child too much responsibility. You can't give a child too much money. What would happen if you gave a six-year-old child $100? Do you think that they would be very successful with it? Hey, I came back home and I started my own lemonade stand business. It's rare. They'd probably come back home with some toys and some candy. And $100 gone. Hey, I gave you $100. What'd you do with it? I filled up your car with gas. Yeah, not happening. No. You can't give a child... And and, and look, here's the thing about children, is in the childhood stage, this is where we begin to see maturity. 
This is where maturity, signs of maturity start to show up. They begin to be able to talk and form normal sentences rather than goo goo gaga and, you know, maybe even saying words, but they're not in the right order and they're not completing anything and you just kind of have to figure it out from there. Now we're actually starting to see some signs of maturity. They're learning numbers. But hey, just because you know how to count to 10 doesn't mean you're going out starting a business. Okay? So some signs of maturity begin to show up, but there's still a level of immaturity. Which as uh, 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 children spiritually, as we begin to come out of the baby stage and become children, we still have to be careful with how much they're given, how much responsibility they're put in front of, uh, you know, and, and, and how, how much information they're given, what they're given to handle. You still have to be careful with that. We can't immediately, look, uh, developing maturity is not, uh, it does not translate to automatic responsibility. Maybe we could start giving them something to do, but we oversee, and we still have a strong level of oversight. And then you have to know what can they handle and what they cannot handle. My son, he loves uh, uh, battery-powered vehicles for kids. He loves them, man. If there's one, we have one. In the garage, and every time we go through the garage to go somewhere, he always runs over to the truck and hops in before we can even turn around, and he's already in it, ready, ready to go. No, we're going to take our car today. We'll take yours tomorrow. He's ready to go, man. We are over at Brent and Lisa's a uh, couple nights ago, and they've got one, and that's the first thing he ran to when we got there, and he was on it probably 98% of the time, just going in circles. He just keep the thing turned. And he's just, and he don't care. But I am not giving him the keys to the vehicle at any time soon. No? Why? I know what level of responsibility he can handle. I know what level of maturity he's at. And I know what level of immaturity he's at. With, with children, no matter how much maturity they begin to show, and some mature quicker than others, we know this. But you still have to be very cautious. The Bible actually says you don't put a novice into leadership, a new believer, into a level of oversight. It can cause them to become prideful and haughty and have a prideful spirit. It, it, it can cause uh, other people to fail because if they fail in that position, it could cause other people to fail. There's... You have to take caution in spiritual development. You have to take caution at the childhood stage. You got to know what to expect out of a child. Many children are hurt because they are placed uh, improper expectations. They have improper expectations placed upon their lives. So you have to be cautious with that, and you have to help them in their development as a child here's the thing about spiritual development is you have to want to develop you have to want to now when you first become a believer 
If you've ever come across a new believer or you remember when you first got saved, there is just an overall general excitement for living for God and being a new believer. There's just a love. And we talked about that last week a little bit with babies, man. They're just excited about everything. Just everything makes them laugh. Everything gets them excited. And part of that, you know, you just wish we could keep that excitement all the way up and just say, you know what? The same things that got me excited when I was two need to get me excited today spiritually. The same things I was excited about when I first became a new believer, I still need to be excited about today. But we lose that, and, and God has to work harder at impressing us with his miracles and signs and wonders because we've grown to such a maturity that those things aren't funny anymore. Camden finds some of the silliest stuff funny. There's no humor to it at all, but he'll laugh his face off all night long. And we need to keep a level of that spiritually. But there's that newness, there's that new development that comes as a new believer, that overall general excitement. But we all know that the cares of the world can pressure you. The cares of the world can kind of thwart some of that excitement, excitement, shut some of that out where we're not so excited anymore. You have to want to develop. And every stage... You will not get to the next stage if there's no desire to grow and no desire to develop. You have to have that develop. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. You've got to make purposeful choices. Be deliberate. In your choices. But those choices will only come as a result of choosing and wanting and desiring to grow up and to develop. Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your God as yourself. I find it interesting that, the, that this kid even asked which ones. Like, does that matter? Like, aren't they all good to keep? Well, I mean, some, is he asking which ones aren't really important? Like, which ones can I, you know, kind of get a pass on? I mean, why ask the question? There's only ten of them. Just do all ten. But Jesus gives him an idea, and the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, what's that word? Perfect. What is it? Mature. Remember we saw that over in Ephesians. We should have a desire to grow up spiritually and to be perfect, a mature spiritual believer. 
So if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. If he had done those things right there, what would that have proven to Jesus? I want to do what you're doing, and I'm willing to give up whatever it takes to do it. That's what Jesus was looking for. That's what spiritual growth requires. I want it so bad, I will do whatever it takes. I will give away whatever it takes. I will let go of whatever it takes. I will lay down whatever it takes. Jesus says, if if you don't lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me, you're not even worthy of me. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You will always get to the point in life when, as you grow spiritually that something from the past, even though we may look at it as overall uh, you know, stupid, wicked, rebellious, dumb, Whatever it may look like overall, there will always be something back there that will look awesome. That will be hard for you to lay down. We can name things that we used to do before we came into the kingdom that we're like, man, I don't want any part of that anymore. I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to talk that way anymore. I don't want to drink that anymore. I don't want to uh, uh, go to those places anymore. But then there's some of those things that are harder to let go of. Maybe some of the friends you used to have, some of the people you used to hang out with, some of the relationships you used to partake of, some of the fun stuff, flesh-wise. I mean, the Bible says even sin for a while seems fun, but in the end, it always pays out in death. To grow up spiritually, you have to desire it and you have to want it so bad that you're willing to lay down whatever it takes whatever needs to be let go of and i'll tell you right now every stage you go through in life there's always something else you can lay down there are things that i'm having to lay down today still growing up as a believer there are things that can still draw me away in the, the level that I'm at today. And we're all in that boat. Doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. There's always something that you can let go of to get closer and to grow stronger in your walk with God. To grow up more spiritually as a believer. There's always something you can lay down. There's always, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says to lay down every weight and sin. Not everything's a sin. You'll find that in your, you know, as you're growing up spiritually and as you go through babyhood, childhood, even adolescent stage, that a lot of what you're laying down is sins. That's just direct rebellion against God and I'm going to lay it down. That is just sin and I'm going to put it down. But then as you, you'll also find as you develop that sometimes there's things that are just weights. It's not necessarily a sin But it's just something that weighs you down and doesn't allow you to run your race and stay the course as strong as you know you could. 
It's not a sin to watch TV. But if it's something that you can lay down to get closer to God, then you'd better do it. And don't be like the rich young ruler and walk away sorrowful because of that one thing that's still drawing you. Sin is easy. Sin is identifiable. There's, uh, God made it so simple. People that have trouble uh, with sin today, they just love to sin. That's just all there is to it. A few days ago, a, a guy came out in a professional sport, said that he's coming out as a gay man. He actually said he's coming out as a black man and a gay man. Good for him. He came out both in the same day. Good for you. You're black. We, we didn't see that one coming. Now you're also gay. Thank you for openly admitting to the entire world that you want to live in sin and you want to live in direct rebellion to the word of God. And he's a hero today. He is looked up to. I heard someone yesterday on ESPN say that they were so glad he did that. And hopefully there are some 11 or 12 year old gay kids that are playing basketball that know one day I can get to the NBA and I don't have to be an outcast. You're a hero to little kids because you came out and told the entire world, I like men. Give me a break. We, we're, we're living in that day. We are in that day where you are looked up to for standing directly against and in direct opposition of the word of God. We're in that day. That's what our kids have to grow up in. That's why this has to be taught. That's why this has to be communicated in its entirety. Not what makes you feel comfortable. Not what you just want to hear. Could you imagine if you only told your children what they want to hear? Because here's, another, here's the downfall of childhoods. And here's one of the, the downfalls of childhood. We're going to look at a few of them here. One of them is not being able to take constructive criticism. That is a sign of immaturity. If you ever come across someone that has trouble handling constructive criticism and being told that what you're doing is not exactly how it should be done and we need to change that, you are immature. If you can't be told, now look, that's not exactly what the Bible says. This is what it... This is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to do this thing. If you can't receive that, we're still immature. Because children don't want to be told that. Children don't want to hear that. They have trouble receiving that criticism. They have trouble receiving correction. Now, I know the word is the word of God. And it's given for direction. It's given to reveal God's love. It's given to reveal God's purpose for us. But in 2 Timothy, let me make sure I get the right one because there's a lot of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given. By inspiration of who? God. All of it. 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. That's the one we like to leave out. Well, I like to receive its doctrine. And I like to receive its reproof. That means proving that you're doing the right thing. I like to receive it for instruction and righteousness and tell me how to do something right. But I don't know if I like the Bible telling me what I'm doing wrong. And children don't like to be told when they're doing wrong. They don't like to be told what they're doing is wrong. And if we're still in that stage where we can't receive correction, then we're a child. And we still have a level of immaturity about us. What's great about being a child? Their excitement and passion for life. Their ability to just see something and believe it. I don't have to convince a child that we have enough money for gas or that we have enough money to pay the electric bill. I don't have to convince them for the things that as adults weigh us down. That's what we need to receive from children and keep as a child is that excitement and that passion and that ability to learn and that desire to learn, that desire to grow. You know kids love to grow. They love to grow so much that they will mark the side of their door every little inch, right? We all did it. You stand there and you take the pencil if you didn't have someone to do it for you and you know you try to stand a little bit tall. You ever seen two kids that are almost as tall as each other get next to each other and they're all, what do they do? You see that? I'm taller. They love to grow. Kids love to grow. They desire to grow. They love to see who's fastest. They love to see who's the strongest. They love to see who's the best at something. Their competitiveness is awesome. They'll stand back to back. Who's taller? Who's taller? And you, ah, keep your heels on the ground. Don't you? Now get off your toes. You're on your toes. They love to grow. But then when it comes time to be corrected, or when it comes time to receive constructive criticism, now we've run into an issue. Secondly, children. A dangerous pitfall for children is talkativeness. Now, kids love to talk, man. Kids love to talk. See? <laughs> kids love to talk even the shy ones man if you get the shy ones out of their box they'll go all day long. there's no such thing as a shy kid it's just that original invitation but once we get them out of their box they got something to say they always have something to say and that's great when you get a a child a spiritual believer man and they just want to talk to everybody about god man Get around some people and, 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 and they'll go into a restaurant and they'll start talking to the waiter or the waitress and they'll stop people on the street. They'll be in Target and they'll just start talking about God, man. It's awesome. But talkativeness can also get you in trouble. There's different kinds of 
talking that the word covered that can get you in trouble. One was evil speaking. Evil speaking. Another is vain speaking. That means speaking highly about themselves or higher than they ought to be. And then another is just foolish speaking. These are three types of speaking and talking that are identified in the word that can get you in trouble. Children can get in trouble with their mouths, not knowing when to stop, not having self-control, not knowing uh, when not to share certain information. You know, you got to watch what you say around children because it'll come back and get you. They'll tell their teacher. They'll tell their friends at school. You got to be careful with how much information they get. That's one of those, you can't give them too much information because they'll run with it. Why? Because there's still a level of self-control that has to be developed. If you get around a spiritual believer that has trouble with their mouth, maybe holding information or maybe uh, uh, always wanting to hear new information, they still have a level of immaturity. You know, half the battle with gossip is what you hear. If you can learn just to get yourself out of some of those conversations, you won't have anything to share with other people. Gossipers, they got to be in the know to say what they know. They have to be in the conversation. Well, if we just have self-control and say, you know what, look, I don't want to know about that person. Did you hear about so-and-so? I don't want to know. Because I know if I hear it, I might have a hard time keeping it to myself. And you know what, and I don't even need to know. That's where we need to stop. Well, I'll hear it, but I I won't tell anybody. Yeah, you will. You tell them every time. You say it every time. You you get right around the right person that's going to... So what'd they say? Huh? What'd they do? Yeah? Come on, I know you know what they did. You know what they said. She told you, didn't she? She told you. Private message me on Facebook. PM me on FB. I just learned what PM was two days ago. We are selling my vehicle, selling my vehicle, and my wife was put it on Facebook or whatever, and uh, I guess some people were messaging her about it, and she's like, you're going to have to respond to these people. So I signed in on her Facebook, and there's so much stuff going on on my screen, man. It's like so-and-so likes their, this picture and n- new messages and all this weird. I'm like, what? This is like. Does the government use this? Because they could, they could probably find out where Osama was a long time ago with Facebook. Osama probably got blown up because he put his status on Facebook and said, I'm hiding out at such and such place. <laughs> oh, he probably did that. <laughs> Dude, that's some intel right there. I think Facebook was designed by the government. And they ought to use it. So anyway, so this lady was messaging, and my wife says, PM them back. P- what? I said, what does PM mean? Private message. Oh. And so I had to, I, I said, how do you private message? Do I just respond back? Is that a private message? Does everybody get to see it? Is that a public message? I, I don't know. So I figured out what a private message was. But you got to be careful. As a new believer, even in the childhood stage, that one thing that can get us in trouble is our mouth. And although our mouth can be used for good, we've got to be careful because 
We've got to learn to have that self-control, learn to bridle the tongue, as James says. And by doing so, we'll continue in our development and our growth as a believer. Uh, becoming unbalanced is another dangerous pitfall. Children love uh, to do things, but uh, something for children that is difficult is moderation. All right, it's time to turn the TV off. No, one more hour. You've been on it three hours. Well, I want another hour. And they want to do a lot. They want to do a lot of stuff that sometimes can become dangerous to them. But then they don't want to do very much of what is healthy. Brush your teeth. I brushed them this morning. Okay, we need to do that like three times a day. <laughs> we need to brush our teeth more than once a day. I brushed them on Monday. It's Thursday. We get in there and brush your teeth. I take a bath. I took one last night. Okay, it's tonight. Week 24 hours went by on your stinky body. Get yourself in the bath. There's things we got to learn moderation, and we got to learn control, and we've got to learn balance. We've got to learn balance. As spiritual believers, as children, we've got to learn to be balanced in the Word of God. Don't just want to hear, uh, don't just want to eat all the ice cream and not enough vegetables. Don't just want to eat the things out of the Word that we like to hear, but not study and not listen to the things that might be a little harder to hear. But how, do you, how many of you know broccoli is good for your health? Carrots are good for your health? Fruit is good for your health? Meat is good for your health? Don't just eat the, don't just eat the bun. Don't just eat the bread. I mean, I've seen kids when I was growing up. There's both of them. There's the kids, they take off the bread and they just eat the meat. And then there's kids, they take off the bread and just eat the bread. I remember one kid in my class, he'd take off the bread, take the meat out, put the two pieces of bread back together with the mayonnaise and stuff all in between and just go to town on the bread. Dude, you got to eat all of it. But as children, we're unbalanced sometimes. We, we, we want to stay up. All night, but then 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock rolls around. It's time to get ready for school, and we can't even get out of bed. We have to learn balance, learn moderation. We can't be unbalanced as believers. And then lastly, we have to ensure proper exercise. Children have to be active. Children have to have exercise. It's a very crucial time in their development, and they've got to be active and have uh, actions being applied with what they're learning and what they're doing. And when I say exercise, I don't just mean physical activity. You can exercise math. You can exercise science. You can exercise spelling. I didn't learn uh, how to spell just from listening to my teacher tell me how to spell. What did I do? I took quizzes. I took tests. I took, uh, I, I would, me and my mom would go over my spelling words for that week. What does that do? It, it, it helps the development. 
So we've got to ensure activity. We've got to ensure the exercise and the acting on the word that coincides with the hearing of the word, as we just spoke about. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Well, I went to church today. Really? I couldn't tell. People ought to be able to tell you went to church yesterday. On Monday morning, they ought to be able to tell you did something different than they did on Sunday morning. That you heard something different than they did on Sunday morning. That you're living something different than they were living on Sunday morning. There should, there should not be this complete 180 between Sunday morning and Monday morning. There's a reason why church comes right before Monday. Because Mondays are a mess. We know this. But what we got on Sunday ought to help somebody on Monday. And so there's got to be activity. There's got to be exercise. This is all necessary for the development. And then as we get into the uh, adolescent stage, we'll have that proper development. We'll have that proper level. But look, you're not going to the fourth grade if we didn't complete what we needed to do in the third. Stages are important. Stages of development are crucial. And if you try to skip a stage, go around a stage, not completely do what is necessary in your stage... If something's going to show up in the next stage. If, they, if you do get there, something's going to show up and say, wait a minute, you didn't do what you needed to in the previous. And that's what happened with Paul. He came back to the Corinthian church and said, I ought to be able, you're in the fifth grade now, we ought to be able to be doing these type of math problems, but I'm having to go over the first grade stuff all over again. There's, there's no development. There's no action. In spiritual growth and spiritual development, every stage is crucial. Every stage is necessary for the next stage. And if you try to move on to the next level without letting go of or adding to what was necessary in the previous stage, you're going to have a hard time in the next one. I would have a hard time today as a senior pastor, if I didn't grow and develop in the things that God had me grow and develop in as a children's pastor, I would be struggling today. If I didn't let go of some of those weights, some of those sins in the previous level, I'd be here today and, be, and, and, and make a mess, and it would cost a lot more today than it would then. But by being obedient and by doing what I needed to do in a previous stage, I can do everything that God calls me to do in this stage. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that your word is truth. Your promises are everlasting. Your word is faithful, Father. I thank you that as we hear your word, we don't only hear it, we don't only just give attention to it, but we grow by it. We do it. We apply it. We live it. We live it. We develop it in our life, Father. I thank you that tonight we don't just have hearers, but we have doers that we realize no matter what stage of life, of spiritual development we are in, Father, that we can always give a greater or lesser degree. So, Father, I thank you that we have people here tonight that we want to give attention to your word. We want to grow up spiritually. 
We don't want to stay stuck at a level. We don't want to digress and go backwards. We don't want to remain babies or children spiritually. But, Father, we want to apply your word, do everything you've called us to do, and grow and become mature adults. Then we will be effective for the kingdom. Then we will be everything that you have called us to be. We thank you again for this word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.